All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. For any new listeners to the Money Wise program, Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 33rd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at DavidsonCap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was up about 833 points, or 2.7%. The S&P 500 last week was up about 143 points, or 3.6%. And the NASDAQ last week was up 481 points, or 4.1%. Now, for the year to date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is down 11.5%. The S&P 500 is down 14.7% year-to-date. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is down 22.6%. So first positive week in the last three weeks. Yeah, we didn't have a show last week, so we didn't get to talk about the end of August performance. You know, basically August across the board, it was down 4% for all the major averages, Dow, the S&P, and the NASDAQ. And we almost made all that back in just a handful, you know, here in the last <laughs> trading week, oddly enough. And it was, you know, shortened by the, the uh, Labor Day holiday, so we only had, what, four trading days this week. Yes. So it's just, you know, the market just cannot seem to make up its its mind which way it's just churning one way or the other, and I and I, you know, my opinion of the whole thing is it seems to be churning daily on Fed speak. At least that's what it's been this week because there wasn't really any any economic news of any great importance in the week just past due, due to the you know the trade shortened holiday because of Labor Day, but there was a lot of Fed speak. A lot. It, and it seemed that the the Fed speak and the market was just hanging on every word. And if if the words were, if they find just little nuggets of positivity or what was perceived as, oh, the Fed's getting near the end of the rate-raising cycle, or maybe they won't go 75 basis points at the end of the month, or maybe it'll all, you know, they'll stop here at the end of the week, or maybe we'll get a good, a better CPI number than expected uh, coming out next week, and you'd get some a little you get some covering, you get some buying come in, and then the next day it would flip back the other way. We basically made our whole week on Friday once again, right? Once again, we make the whole week on Friday because I think the Dow was up over 400 points uh, on Friday. That was more Plus. than half the that was more than half the gains this week. Well, and the S and P ended the week breaking above its 50-day moving average, which as we had the selling over the last three weeks break below the 50-day moving average, we're able to close on Friday. It was another attack of the Fridays in a good way this time. And it, it appears that we've gotten close to half of a retracement of the last three to four weeks of pullback that we've had when the S&P hit resistance at the 200-day moving average. Joe, wait, wait, something you wanted to add? Yeah, I think in the, in the absence of any news, it's everybody trying to – it's essentially – Everybody trying to handicap the Fed. Obviously, we're trying to figure out what's going to go on with rates. And you have all the talking heads on TV talking about what they think is going on with rates. There's obviously not going to be a, a firm pivot, but when are we going to stop? And that's what I think 
what we essentially saw in the last week. And Kyle and I were talking about a level in the S&P right around 3,900. And we're just thinking this thing might just essentially hit that level of uh, of support. Now I might, might be wrong, but I did see that. And I think a lot of it was dependent on, it was just about the Fed, about the Fed, about the Fed. And the lack of any news or earnings uh, or anything else substantial about the market or the economy, for that matter. So, well, in this, in, in the last, in the last week plus, I mean, thirty nine hundred on the on the S and P five hundred appears to be a shorter term support level, and so I know that when we crossed it this past week, I know we wanted to wait a day or so to see if we could stay above thirty nine hundred, and we did because we did make some adjustments to the portfolios on Friday with increasing equity exposure across the board in all of our asset builder accounts and all of our individual stock and bond accounts, but again, we're doing it very slowly, very methodically, as we've talked about for a couple of months now uh, here on the MoneyWise program that we're following strategies that we have been utilizing successfully going back, you know, more than 20 years when we have these kind of pullbacks and how we redeploy capital back into the market, utilizing our index base to do that. And we also did some individual rebalancing of some individual stocks in the individual stock and bond portfolio as well. So we've increased our exposure, but when we get to the end of the day, our exposure is still under 46% total equity exposure in a moderate asset allocation. And, and I would say, looking at this past week with all the Fed speak that was going on, something interesting that occurred on Friday is we finally had a Fed governor. I didn't write the name down because it just came out on the on the newswire that we finally have a Fed governor discussing maybe we need to adjust our 2% mandate. Maybe we need to look or think about or start discussing increasing it to 3 or 3.5. But what was interesting is the initial statement on Friday was talking about a substantial interest rate increase come their September 21st meeting. Market reacted slightly to it, came down and saw a little bit of selling, but then the very next sentence talking about adjusting their mandate from 2% to maybe take it up to 3 and 3.5%. And from that point in time, the market went straight up to the end of the close. I, I, I was listening to that, and I kind of yelled down the hall. I'm like, Kyle, they must have been listening to you about three Marcia. months ago when you were saying that. <laughs> and he heard me say that. I'm like, look, they were listening to you, man, the Fed. Maybe you just need to quit your day job, Kyle, and do some government service like yeah. Kyle was talking about earlier this week and go work for the Fed. I, I need I need to do some serving you for talk, the uh, you, FOMC. Yes. Yeah, well, we've been talking, we, yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. Uh, we, we talked about this at our – our dinner meeting that we had with our uh, client number one, our church endowment, we've been managing now for oh, be 33 years. At the end of this year, saying the same thing, and 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 I, we all are in agreement on that. I just don't think it's going to be happening this year. I think that discussion happens next year. I think the Fed has to let. Let's see how these interest rate increases work through the system. If it really brings down CPI and how much they've hurt the economy in doing so, and if they feel like they've hurt they're hurting the economy too much, then they then they'll come out and they'll try to move the mandate uh, uh, target from two to three percent. But we'll see that that'll be next year, in my opinion. Well, let's take our first commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-275. 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, just recapping the happenings of Wall Street from last week at our first uh, update or uh, I would say positive week for the Dow 
the S&P 500 to the NASDAQ in the last uh, three weeks. So ended on a very positive note. But before we went to break, we were talking about a lot of the Fed speak that occurred this past week and the constant handicapping that all professional money managers and traders have been doing all year because the Fed has been the main engine driving the market in its direction. And what we were talking about before the break and something that we've talked about on this show going back more than a month, month and a half, maybe even two months, about the Fed's 2% mandate, the mandate that they're trying to get in monetary inflation to of 2%, and how we've been talking about that they need to make that adjustment because we just don't see inflation getting back to 2%, in particular with the energy policies or lack thereof coming from the Biden administration. It's next. It'll be impossible to get things back to 2% because oil and gas is such a, a solid component or a larger component in this CPI calculation. So on Friday... A Fed governor, I didn't write the name down, made the comment that, yes, we're probably going to be seeing a more substantial interest rate increase on their during their September 21st decision when it comes out towards the end of the month. Obviously, we know it's data dependent, but he opened up the the conversation that they need to start talking about making adjustments to their mandate. And from there, from that comment is when we really saw the market starting to spike and move higher all the way into the close after that comment was made. Um, Because that sends the signal that if they do adjust their 2% mandate higher, then that means that they could be getting closer to the end of their interest rate hiking cycle but as we've said on this program, and as the Fed has always said, it's going to be data dependent. So we'll have to wait Tuesday because September 13th is an extremely important day that everyone that's an investor, money manager is going to be watching with the consumer price index data comes out for August. And we're going to have to see, is it come down substantially? Has it ticked down just a little bit? And then, of course, there's going to be decisions made in portfolios around the world based on this data. And that this makes it so incredibly difficult from a money management point of view, trying to handicap uh, what to do in the portfolio when everything seems to be right now so focused on one or two statistics and a group of people deciding whether they're going to raise interest rates, whether they're not going to raise interest rates, whether they're going to raise them a quarter, a half, a three quarters, whether they're going to pause, whether they're going to do this, whether they're going to do that. We've had periods like this in the past. It's been a long time since we've had had to manage through uh, the magnitude of interest rate changes that we've had this year. You know, I, men- I mentioned in our in our meeting that we had this last week, how much you know interest rates had come up in various uh, maturity ranges. I, I believe we had over a almost a three percent rise in a one year Treasury yield. Yes, since the beginning. I think it was two. I think 20, it was two point twenty two point eight nine percent. I believe. It, it no one year Treasury bonds. From the beginning of the year to the previous Friday, which would have been September the 2nd, 3.08%. That's 308 basis points is how much the one-year treasury. We started the year at 0.39. And uh, and two weeks uh, on the September the 2nd, it was 347 that's a one year. That's the largest out of the all of the treasury rates that we track, and we track 90 day all the way up to 20 years. That's the biggest uh, increase in yields among the. It, it's been focused more on the on the shorter end of the yield curve rather rather than at the longer end of the yield curve. But three percent in a year, going from 0.39 to 3.47. I think I'd made the comment. That's you know, a big move. That, that's a that's a huge move. We're you know, we're fortunate the market hadn't done hasn't performed even worse. Well, with that big with that with that large of a move in interest rates. I was going to say something. It depends on somebody's <laughs> definition of an inverted yield curve. But I'm trying to remember the last time we had something where the two year a time period with the two year and the ten year were inverted the way they are. And it's been a, it's been a, a protracted amount of time. And to your point, the market is handling it relatively well in stride. I would expect a lot more volatility with that, but. 
Well, just, I mean, just here in the last, if you look at the, the, the low in yields in the last uh, three, four months was, was at the beginning of August. Two point, we were at a 10-year yield was at 2.6%. Now we're pushing 3.3. You know, 70 base, seven-tenths of a percent increase over five weeks, and the markets are slightly down because we were down almost 4% in the month of August, and we're up 4% here in the last week if you want to round it off. So the markets have really taken it in stride in terms of this move up in, in, in yields, especially on the 10-year Treasury. Now, we haven't gotten back to the highs that we've seen this year, which was which was mid-June, which coincided with what? The lows. Lows. About, about the lows for the year. They were yeah. almost on the exact same day. June the 14th was when the 10-year Treasury yield peaked so far for the year. That doesn't mean we can't go higher, and I think we will go above 3.49% at some point between now and the end of the year. We'll, you know, is is the market going to digest that, or are we going to go? Are we going to start trending back down to that low again? I'll, I'll I'll grant you, Kyle. You know, from a technical point of view, things have gotten really tight. You know, we get to the 200-day line, it fails. We get down to the 50-day line, it doesn't seem to want to stay below it very long. So mm-hmm. that you know, we're just got this narrowing, narrowing you know pattern. Trading range. With, if Dad was here, he'd be talking about some you know technical names for that and the market is going to break one way or the other based on this or that yes Kyle but I will say from a technical standpoint when you do go back and look at the S&P on June 14th when we were intraday that intraday low of 3636 what the pattern that is starting to emerge is that we have higher lows so when you're having this higher low pattern that could be a more positive sign moving into the future for the market to continue to be moving in the right direction, but we can, as we've said on this program, we can be caught in a trading range for an extended period of time. And I always go back to the 2014 to 2015 timeframe where there was a 22-month period where the S&P 500 from end to end, from point to point of 22 months, moved didn't even move one single point. And that was definitely a a very complex market for those 22 months of being stuck in this trading range. The market's been stuck in a trading range from 1973 to 1983. Now, I'm not saying that's what we're doing here, but I thought something that was interesting. Um, Jay Powell gave an interview to the Cato Institute on Thursday. And I, I think I want to say it's one of the first times I've heard Jay Powell actually say Bottom line, that inflation was caused by COVID-1 and policies, too, meaning fiscal policies made in Washington. And he didn't call it outright of just all the stimulus money that was given uh, by the Biden administration. You must have been listening to our show again. It, it isn't, but it isn't I was very year. shocked. I was very shocked for him to finally say, what, he's like, I don't want to get deep into what policies were made with the policy decisions that were made, but let's just say COVID and policies. I was very surprised. He, get, he gave this interview right before the market opened on Thursday, and I perked up and I turned to my wife, well, 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 and, and I what said, about, I can't believe he finally yeah, said that. It's about, about time. Okay, well, what about 14 years of zero interest rate policy? Who 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 did that? That was before his tenure, Jeff. <laughs> Oh, okay. <laughs> that started with Bernanke. Then it went on to Janet Yellen, oh, um, and, okay. then, and then and then he had to take over. But but he, but that's the thing, and this is kind of the argument that I guess we've all been having. I say argument discussions, sometimes heated discussions about, and, and and even going back to my comment I made several shows ago about inflation running in a pendulum, and that some economists, some some professors in in the in the world of economy or economists feel that maybe the fed shouldn't be doing as much intervention as they're doing and just allow things to work themselves out and i know when i mentioned that on a show several weeks ago jeff you talked about the great depression and you talked about well what about the 80s if we didn't have the intervention then but then my counter argument would be we have a completely different kind of market now we have a lot more participants we have 401k's we have the algorithms we have the the ai trading the market is completely different and it's driven by 
different industrial sectors than it was back in the 80s. And so the other argument to this point is when we had rates at zero, we were having difficulty getting inflation to 2% for an extended period of time. So let's pause right there. Let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call at our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us at our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1 800 275 2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments and don't forget to like the show. So if you're just tuning in this weekend's MoneyWise program, I was getting a little esoteric with the uh, with a lot of the Fed speak, and I know I have had lengthy conversations this past week with Dad, trying to get him onto the program, but he was a little too he was a little too fearful coming on the air because he feels that he would be so stuck in the you know the political corner that he he just was afraid <laughs> yeah, that he would lead us to the the cancel to the cancel culture. He'd lead us right down the path to the cancel culture the with all loo- the-, the loose cannon might get us. In a little trouble, is that get, just saying? Yeah, get us a little too loose because he would be so focused on politics. And, and I know but, that politics is definitely has involvement in the market. But in this year, it's really all about the Fed and why we're spending so much time talking yeah. about it. But during the commercial break, Jeff, you brought up a very interesting point, And I, I wanted you to talk about that as far as kind of the Fed's real role. And the markets. Before I get to that, I want to say something about politics in 2022. I've mentioned this during our dinner meeting on Wednesday. Uh, even if the Republicans took every single seat in the House and the Senate that's up for election here in November, it would make zero difference in the markets at this point. The only difference it might make is for a short period of time. For those investors who have made investment decisions purely based on politics that have been sitting it out since Biden took office, that they might put some money in if the Republicans, you know, just totally took over everything in Congress. It'd be like a sugar high. But in the reality of it is, is that it's not something that the markets are purely and totally and completely and unequivocally driven right now by the inflation news that comes out in the middle of each month and the Fed's response to it that typically happens at the end of each month. That's it. Well, if you know, there that, was – that, that is the yes. overriding – and that's what makes things incredibly difficult right now from a management point of view because everything these Fed guys say, you got one say one thing, one say the other, and the, these machines are keying in on it. Next thing you know, the market's up 400. It's down 400. That's not, you know, it's, it's, that's very difficult from an investment point of view to invest with that. So I will say this one thing about the Fed. And to me, the Fed's role kind of boils down simply is they are the, and I wouldn't, I can't say controller, but their main job is to, somehow smooth out the extremes temper thank you kyle the temper the extremes of capitalistic emotions and the extremes of capitalist emotions are extreme greed and how do they how do they fight extreme greed well they start raising interest rates because when when greed gets extreme typically like we've seen here in the last few years Inflation starts to rear its ugly head, and it's reared its ugly head in a way that we haven't seen since the 1980s, and the Fed's just going to keep raising rates, as they keep saying over and over and over again, until they defeat it. Whether they adjust their mandate from 2 to 4%, that's down the road. The other extreme of capitalism is fear, and we saw what 
extreme fear in 08, 09 looked like, and the Fed went to zero interest rate policy. But we stayed in that zero interest rate policy for a long time, very long time. And then COVID hit. Just as we thought we were getting out of it, then COVID came along. And extreme fear took over again. Fear like we, you know, it was a September 11th type fear. We really didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know how long it was going to take them to develop vaccines. We didn't really know how, we, we didn't know. And so another, that extreme took over that March, that extreme fear. And what the Fed do? They came in, they lower interest rates to zero, all this money, all these, all these loans coming out, and the administration piled on with all that other free money that you were mentioning, Kyle, in the first segment of today's show, that the Fed, you know, in retrospect, now, they're, now they want to come out and beat on the administration for sending out all, all, that, all that free money when they have been complicit for how many years? In the zero interest rate policy, ladies and gentlemen, they have been, we we have been warning about the chickens coming home to roost for years, and we have been adjusting our portfolios, especially on the fixed income side, for what we expected to be the eventual outcome, which was they're going to start raising rates. Inflation is going to come in here is is eventually going to sh- rear its ugly head. And they're going to have to start raising rates because we can't go out and borrow all this money to send it all out to support every all these folks and there not be a consequence. And so the consequences are now playing out. And as we've been saying for months and months and now, we none of us know how far interest rates have to go before inflation starts going back the other way. None of us truly know how much the economy gets hurt. But as we said, the Federal, you know, Federal Reserve governor mentioned the word pain how many times a few weeks ago? Haven't heard the word pain come out of him recently. Someone may have sent him a, sent him a memo that says, you maybe need to dial back the pain word. Yeah. Chairman Powell? Yeah, I just lost 5% in my 401k. That's right. Yeah, there's there's some yeah, pain for you. That's right. There's that's some pain. Right. Yeah, that that, that I mean, is there have pain. Been a, there have been a lot of investors experiencing pain this year. If your portfolio was way too allocated to growth stock names, there's a lot of pain been been felt by uh, investors in portfolios this year. If you own bond mutual funds, especially, especially long, long maturity, duration, long, yeah, long long maturity duration. bond mutual funds. Mm-hmm. For the, for those investors out there that that own the typical Monte Carlo analysis managed, and I'm going to use that in quotations. I know you can't see our radio listeners can't see this. Have international funds in their portfolio, or emerging markets funds in their portfolio? They're down 20 plus percent this year, but they're still there, and I bet those bond funds are still there. So you know, if you're one of our listeners that has managed money. And you look at your statement, and it still has the same securities in it now that it did the end of last year, that it did the the end of the previous year. You got to ask yourself, what kind of management is that? Because running the same play every time isn't going to win the football game. Well, and you're typically going to see this with the classic legacy distribution system firms that do this because they're such huge behemoths. All they do is manage the relationship and allow computers to do most of the management based off an economic and portfolio management theory that was developed decades and decades ago. But the, rea- and- the reality is computer programs is they're adjusting things in micro, you know, okay, we'll take 1% out of large cap, we'll put 1% in mid cap, or we'll take 1% out of out of uh, emerging and put 1% international. The other way, they're making these micro moves. But the portfolios still say substantially the same. And this year has required thinking outside the box to the max, especially on the bond side. Yes, Joe. I, I want to mention something. When you're looking at your portfolio and you're doing a review, which, of course, you know, we do a lot, a copious amount of portfolio reviews, and we see all types of investments. We see Monte Carlo uh, portfolios, if you will. I call them the R2-D2 portfolio because it's like a robot just spit them out and you see at the same time but what i'm getting at is when you're looking at your portfolio and, and to jeff's point about owning bonds and, and our, our particularly i know he's going to talk about our short position that we have on, on a 10-year on a treasury and look using an etf and looking at every different kind of investment vehicle to mitigate your risk if you're not seeing somebody do that in your portfolio or moving 
if you're over allocated to growth, moving to value, having a more barbell approach, taking that 10% allocation that Jeff and I, if we're playing poker, it's like against somebody else, we know we got a full house, but this guy's got a pair of twos because he's got 10% international in his portfolio. We know what the result's going to be. I'm not saying all the time, but you got to look at your portfolio and you have to make sure you're using every vehicle possible and ask your advisor if you have one. You know, this is what I'm seeing year after year, quarter after quarter. What's changed? You know, when's the last time you made a decision that's outside the box in my account? And let him, well, and let him well, talk. Well, well, normally, well, well, well nor- normally, Joe, the, the, these folks don't think outside the box or know how to think outside the box because they're not managing money. They're, they're relationship managers. That, that's, that's their primary job is just managing the relationship and the assets are turned to somebody else that the client doesn't know who they are. They don't know who the client is. And it's just, it, you know, you're a round peg. We're going to jam you into our square hole because that's all we got. All we got is stuff right off the shelf. And this is what you're going to have to fit in. Well, that's not, that's not active management. Like Jeff said, active management comes with thinking outside of the box, but you also have to have the decades of experience of making real decisions in real market conditions with real assets and be living and standing by those decisions and use your expertise. Because as we've preached on this program for 16 years, money management is an art and a science. And unfortunately, the legacy distribution system is trying to make everything a science and we see these portfolios time and time again during portfolio reviews where the science consistently fails. It consistently fails. And that's what we see. I mean, I mean, Jeff can tell you, I can tell you, Joe, you can tell stories about prospective clients coming in down 20, 25, 30% year to date. And they're not 100% allocated to stocks either. They have the wrong bond positions in their portfolio that they're down double digits in this year. So they're, they're all large cap growth and they're, they're down big this year. That's right. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to the MoneyWise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. Well, with our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program, have a little bit uh, of a different MoneyWise program this week. So we're actually doing a six-segment show, so we're going a full hour and a half uh, being preempted at the bottom half of the next hour for the Fighting Texas Aggies pregame. So we have a full six-segment show for this weekend's Money Wise program. I wanted just to reiterate, because I talked about it in the first segment of this weekend's show, just some of the changes that we had made in the portfolio uh, this past week. And for any of the, for any listener that didn't catch it, is that we increased – our equity allocations across the board and all of our asset allocation models. When we look at our moderate asset allocation model, we took our equity exposure to just around 45 to 46% uh, equity exposure uh, for that allocation. And so as we've been saying on this program, really going back to the June lows, that if you had a bunch of money sitting on the sidelines, you had some dry powder to just slowly and methodically, it's okay to slowly methodically start to put some of that money back to work. Now, Joe mentioned this also in the show, when it comes to the equity approach, we're taking a barbell strategy where we have both value exposure and growth exposure pretty close to even between the two and then right in the middle of the core allocation, which is your kind of growth at a reasonable price, typically more moderate price to earnings ratios. They typically pay a dividend. We also have exposure right there smack dab in the middle of the GARP large cap growth arena. 
So we still recommend that barbell approach. We're definitely not saying go in and just put all of your equity exposure as you're putting it in and just focus strictly on the growth side because, as we've discussed on this program, the Fed is not done raising interest rates yet. I would say, Joe, I know you and I were discussing this in the office on Friday that we're kind of feeling we're maybe around the seventh inning stretch, as you like to put it, Joe, with the Fed raising rates. Um, I've been on the record saying that I think the best case scenario, and I think Jeff would agree with this, that we'll see the Fed stopping their interest rate increases in December with the December meeting being their last rate increase for a period of time. Uh, Worst case scenario for me would be in the first quarter of 2023. And I know talking to Jeff, Jeff feels that the second quarter of 2023 would be the worst case scenario as far as the Fed uh, stopping their interest rate uh, hiking cycle. But it's important for, for all investors to understand that the market anticipates this. And from history, the market typically 60 to 90 days tries to anticipate when the Federal Reserve is going to be stopping their interest rate hiking cycle. And so the markets typically tend to move before they finish. And I know that we're in September, which is historically one of the worst, or if not the worst month for the market. And we have the big uh, consumer price index reading coming out on Tuesday next week that everyone is going to be uh, on kind of razor's edge waiting for that information to come out. The Super Bowl of CPI reports. So we've had, I think we've had four or five Super Bowls this year, by the way. (laughs) Well, it's trying that. According to Dallas and CNBC. Well, and and Joe, it's going to continue. Every CPI report, every core PCE report, everyone is going to be paying attention to that report. You know, we heard this past week mortgage applications again at a 22-year low. And I have heard some analysts discuss, okay, well, maybe there's there's a slowdown in home buying due to the higher interest rates on the mortgage side. But they still have to have a place to live. People still have to have a place to live. So then that's going to be leading them to the renter side of things. And we're seeing still rents holding up at a high level and some in some cases going higher where landlords are taking advantage from this higher interest rate environment and people delaying buying of a home due to higher mortgages having to continue uh, to rent. And so that is a wild card when it comes to how that's going to affect the consumer price index, the CPI. But I did hear this past week that they're starting to see some trip cancellations, some airline ticket cancellations. And so things on the service side, which has really been heating up as we've seen the imbalance of product buying and not buying a lot of services during the the global pandemic – coming to an equilibrium for a period of time, and now we're seeing less product buying and more service consumption by the American consumer and have seen a nice spike in the service side of the inflationary picture. So if we're starting to see maybe some slowdowns on that end, that again will contribute to the lower a lower CPI, allow the Fed to lift their foot off of the interest rate gas pedal a bit, which can bring in um, some buying onto the equity side of the market. I think the CPI number will have enough statistics in it to that the the bulls can hang something on and the bears can hang something on. Uh, the the, the question is going to be, to me, I, I'm just not expecting much out of it. Uh, I'm not expecting that much of a change. And if there's not that much of a change, then, then you, you can guarantee pretty much – Said in stone, you're going to get a three quarter percent rate increase, and we haven't had that since the 1980s. And I would agree with that. I I, I definitely would agree with that. The hawkish talk will continue, and and the the 800 points that we were up in the week just passed could just as quickly evaporate in a couple of days, and we find ourselves trending back down to that to that low. Uh, And and if we break that low. But that low gets violated, then there may have to be some rethinking uh, about our about asset allocations. I know one thing is we're not going our our allocation to to the short on the ten year treasury. Uh, we're not going to be going. We're not going to be putting any more uh, assets committed to that particular investment. It's done exceptionally well this year. 
for us, uh, as well as the sale of a lot of those bonds and the fact that we, and I'm not sure that we, we haven't had a show since we, since our treasury that we have been uh, rolling in our portfolios on the, on the fixed income side, we reinvested it in a new treasury. And I believe our income on, on that treasury doubled from the last, more than doubled from the last Mm -hmm. time that we had purchased it. Uh, So this, the strategy of, of not, really investing any new money in longer maturity fixed income instruments, you know, one year, two year, three year treasury, you know, bond, you know, corporate bonds like we have, which we've really been doing for 30 plus years, you know, to me, until they, until the federal reserve stops raising interest rates, uh, I'm not that inclined to go out there and, and commit money on the bond side to, to uh, longer maturity ranges. Cause I think that we'll get even better yields here in the next three, six months as the Federal Reserve continues to raise interest rates. I see we're coming up here to the top of the hour. Okay, so we're going to go to the top of the hour, take the break, go into the news. When we come back from the news, we'll be diving in to the second half, or I say the second hour, but it's actually going to be a half hour, very special MoneyWise program this week where we're doing an hour and a half show. So stay tuned, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to MoneyWise with Davidson Capital Management. Your MoneyWise guys will be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got your Money Wise guys back inside the studio diving into the second part of this weekend's Money Wise program. We have a half hour left before the Fighting Texas Aggies start their pregame. So wanted to do a six-segment show. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments. And don't forget to like the show. So from the last segment before we went to the top of the hour, we were just talking about, again, talking about interest rates, the Federal Reserve's raising interest rates. But there's one point I wanted to make, particularly for us, is since we're a tactically balanced investment manager, money manager, where we have both fixed income and equities and every single asset allocation model we manage here at Davidson Capital. The one thing I will say about a higher interest rate environment moving forward, particularly for a balanced manager, and and this is also very important for retirees, is that we're finally moving into an environment where the fixed income side of a balanced portfolio can start to do more of the heavy lifting. Because as we were talking earlier in the program, how we were at a zero interest rate, Fed Fed funds rate for many, many, many years post the financial crisis, the, the fixed income side of a balanced portfolio was doing very little. It was providing safety, and it was providing a little bit of income, but not a lot of income to put any retiree on easy street or get excited about. And so then that required a lot more investors, a lot more retirees or pre-retirees to be taking a lot more risk in their portfolio on the equity side or the stock side of their portfolio to try to either generate income through dividends and dividend-paying stocks, but also to generate more growth in the portfolio to maintain their withdrawal rate as they live off of their nest egg in retirement. And so having a higher interest rate environment, as we transition to it, it's been very painful. And, and we're the first to admit it's very painful for all investors as we've been going through this interest rate adjustment transition. But once we get to the other side of this and the Federal Reserve finally takes their foot off of the accelerator from raising interest rates and we can start seeing three and a half, four and a half, five percent yield to maturities in shorter term, shorter maturity or intermediate maturity bonds then that's going to allow 
your bond portfolio, owning a balanced portfolio to do more work for you, to finally start getting some income that can help sustain your withdrawal rate throughout retirement. Yeah, Jeff, something you wanted to add? I just want to say the pain is relative to the quality of the management the investor is receiving. So if you're, not, if you're not receiving good management, your pain is probably higher than most because this is a this is a complex situation when it comes to to management but there were a lot of warning signs there was this this was not something that just came and hit us out of left out of right field there were plenty yeah. of warning signs that stocks were getting high, I just want to over, I, I, stocks were getting and and interest rates were far too low for far too long and and had to start they had to start turning around, and the the, the fact that the matter this it, it's it was I hate to say easy in retrospect, but it was so simple to to have just gotten out of every instrument that held especially mutual funds and our ETFs that held long maturity bonds or high yield securities. Securities that are very common in "quote unquote" managed, wrap managed type portfolios, or you know, we see this a lot in four hundred one ks too, and international. You know, it, it, it was so it was so quote easy to have made had plenty of time to make adjustments to the portfolio, and the vast majority of people that have supposed managed portfolios, it wasn't done, and still well, hasn't been done. That's right. And, and the reason why I wanted to bring this up, because of the pain that investors have felt this year, some have felt more pain than others. I wanted to provide the silver lining because there is a silver lining with the Fed adjusting their interest rate policy and moving to a higher interest rate environment. There is a silver lining in that. And, and, and there is definitely a silver lining for folks that are in a balanced portfolio that both own stocks and fixed income once we get to the other side of this cycle. So that's the reason why I wanted it, to Essentially it what Kyle's saying is you're going to be able to take less risk and be able to maintain – the, kind of income, the income well, stream that you right. need to, to to retire with dignity without taking without adding as much beta to the or portfolio. Risk. I won't get into that's detail right. what beta is, but that's simple terms. It's risk. In yes. simplest and, terms, and we, it's and risk. We don't, and we don't have to be as yes. We still have to manage money. We still have to be, you know, majority of the time right on the the stocks that we're picking, but we don't. We don't have to take as much risk in the stock portfolio to get where we need to be. It's, so if you look at two years ago, we were talking about 60-40 now as the new 70-30. The, 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 the 70-30. And you have to look at alternatives and all other types of things. Now we're saying, well, a 60-40 or maybe a 50-50 portfolio of stocks to bonds might get you where you need to be. But the, 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 it all oh, depends on your withdrawal rate. You still got to have a manager. You still have to have an advisor making sure in the right portfolio for what you're trying to achieve. And you got to really address your income stream, how much you're taking out. I mean, for please, if you're retiring, do yourself a favor and I do a budget for yourself. All right, and factor in inflation to that budget if you haven't done that already. Go ahead, Jeff. Don't ever forget the easiest way to improve portfolio performance. Well, you're already Lower leading fees. into, you're getting into that. Lower oh, yeah. fees. But yeah, oh. that was a preview of coming attractions. Oh, that, you like that? Thank you. You just teed that up for me, and we're kind well, of going against and the break. Me, but. Well, I know, but we're we're coming up on the break. But I wanted to set this up because we we'd been talking about this article going back more than a month. We started getting into the article. We didn't get to all the five points, and so since we have an extended show for this weekend's program, we're going to get through this article. And before we go to the break, Joe, what is the title of this article that we're going to go into to get the through all the five points? The, the title of the article is Five Ways to Be a Terrible Investor." Okay, so we are going to discuss the five ways where investors can become or will be a terrible investor. So hit the first point before we go to the break, and then we can pick it up on the other side. Sure, and the, the, the first bullet point is paying higher fees. That's one sure way to be a terrible investor is paying higher fees. You can't control the market. You can, what can you control? You control your emotions, and you actually can control your fees. 
That's and what you the, can control, you control. And, you, and you can control your spending, yeah. uh, especially moving into retirement. That is the one thing that you can control. But you can also control the fees. And I know Jeff told the story a couple of weekends a couple of weekends ago. Uh, with a prospective client, and we'll take the break, and we'll pick this up on the other side and finish the article, Five Ways to Be a Terrible Investor, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi or San Antonio office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. If you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Don't forget, you can subscribe to the Money Wise podcast through Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite streaming podcast apps where you can leave your comments, and don't forget to like the show. So in our last segment for this weekend's Money Wise program, uh, before we are taken over by the Fighting Texas Aggie pregame, but wanted to get through this article, Five Ways to Be, to be a Terrible Investor. So right before we went to break, we talked about uh, paying too much in fees, paying too much in management fees. And, Jeff, we've all told stories in the last 16 years on this program about fees, and if you – are getting ready to retire and you're transitioning into retirement and you're interviewing advisors to, 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 to potentially hire, you've got to have the conversation about fees. But you can't take what they're telling you at face value. You have to dig in to their ADV part two for any firm to really look at the fees. I know Jeff met with a prospective client not too long ago that thought they were paying one fee. Jeff pulls out their ADV part two, starts digging in, finds out that their fees are more than twice as much as that they were thinking that they were getting paid. And they even asked the question, and unfortunately, we're not given a straight answer. So you have to understand what you're paying in fees, not just what you're paying the advisor for the quote-unquote management fee, what are the underlying expenses of the investment vehicles, That what are those costs are, are you outsourcing the money management to another firm, what are their costs, what are my combined total costs, the fees that I can see on my statement and the fees that I don't see with the actual investment vehicles. So you have to dig deeper. Don't take things for face value. Don't take things for face value because fees is one of the first things you can control and a way to stay away from being a bad investor. What's point number two, Joe? Well, point number two, and it's kind of funny because we always talk about this, is, and maybe we don't talk about it enough, is ignoring taxes. And it, it talks about not just investment vehicles, but obviously we can expand upon this. Look, making sure you're maximizing your IRA accounts, making sure you're maximizing your 401k contributions, looking at tax efficiency or tax inefficiencies in your portfolio. That's and I'll, uh, number two. And I'll give you a classic example, doing portfolio reviews and analysis, clients that are prospective clients that have taxable accounts that have been sitting in securities for year upon year upon year that have tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars of, of embedded, of embedded unrealized capital gains. Well, in some instances, for some prospective clients, that might handcuff them to that investment because they don't want to sell out of it, whether it's a fundamentally sound company or not, it handcuffs them because they don't want to be paying high taxes, even if it's a long-term capital gain. And I've seen this where some prospective clients have been very reluctant to sell a position that we wouldn't own or touch with a 10-foot pole, but because they've been sitting in it for decades, they don't want to take the hit on the tax side. So that's where the tax inefficiencies are. One thing that we do for all of our clients here at Davidson Capital is we're scraping profits. We're constantly taking profits, realizing gains as we go. Doesn't mean we're completely getting out of the position, but we can just rebalance. That's where rebalancing can come in handy. But also, Joe, to your point, you know, making sure you're taking advantages of Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs to save your taxes you pay to Uncle Sam, your 401k contributions, making sure you're maxing those out as well. So you have to pay attention to not only taxes in your portfolio and the tax efficiency in that, but also how much taxes you're paying to Uncle Sam and how you can reduce that. Yeah, Jeff. I would just say that the order of which you make withdrawals out of your various retirement nest egg buckets, um, 
has some tax has important tax implications for your portfolio and and you know generally if you've got multiple buckets there's a more tax efficient w- way to to w- draw withdraw those monies in in retirement to save tax you know save taxes in the long run you don't if you had three multiple buckets you want to take them out of certain buckets before you ever get to your IRA cuz once you get to the IRA that's where the maximum uh, tax bite's going to come cuz every dollar out of that IRA is going to is going to be taxed at ordinary income tax rates and also when you're looking at IRAs or 401k's if you if you want to when you pull assets from those or you defer as long as you possibly can um you're going to compound interest at a faster rate than you would a taxable account. So you want to defer as long as you possibly can to maximize That's right. the growth. That's right. So point three, Joe. Trying to time the market, and we all have fun talking about this, and every time you watch CNBC, anyways, I don't want to get into too much detail, but that's one of the things that you actually – no, Joe, get into detail. I'll get into talking detail. Talking about the market timing. As, as we've talked to, as we've talked time and time again on this program, when we talk, there, when you're a professional money manager, there's always some aspects of timing. The timing of when we need to be pulling money out, timing when we need to start incrementally putting money back in, just like we've been talking about on this program, to slowly start dipping your toe back into the stock pool, albeit very slowly and methodically like we've been doing. That is a part of timing. But I think what that article primarily is focusing on is the type of investor that has the mentality of I'm all in or I'm all out, and I'm trying to time it that way. Now, that is absolutely a failed strategy and has been proven. Even in the depths of the financial crisis, in our moderate allocation, we got down to around a 25 to 28% allocation to the stock market in the depths of the financial crisis in 0809, but we weren't completely out. And we do not advocate for any investor at any time under any market condition to be totally out of the market without a single dollar invested in the stock market or completely in where 100% of every single dollar they have invests in the stock market. That's the market timing uh, that I, I want to kind of specify that we recommend you don't follow. <laughs> Number four. Number four, chasing returns. Yes, chasing returns. I, I, When I think of chasing returns, I think of the wild success of Kathy Woods and the ARC <laughs> ETFs. That is the Bless poster child. No, no, actually, Kyle, your the heart. poster child is is the client that, that, that decided they no longer want us to manage their money in the late 1990s because we had only delivered like 18% compounded for three years. That was the definition of taking uh, chasing returns. And that client basically got out within about six months of the market top, uh, which was followed by a pretty brutal two-plus-year bear market. Yeah, I, I will just say this. If you ever want a, 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 to know about chasing returns, there's a thing called a Callan chart. Just Google it. Yeah, I don't have to send you one. Pull up a Callan chart. There's a good possibility whatever performed really well last year is not going to be the best performer the following year. Yeah, and just to clarify that 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 particular client you know, didn't got out in terms of he, we no longer manage money because we weren't making enough at eighteen percent compounded, and I imagine it all ended up in a bunch of dot com stocks, and no telling how how that portfolio got hurt in the in the, the years following. And no, well, no in- telling. It's a close of business Friday, and this is educational, but they're doing a poll, and they did a poll Friday about what sector do they think is going to be the best-performing sector the rest of the year. Guess what? It's the worst-performing sector to the first half of the year, which is technology. So, Well, and, anyways, and, but again, we always there. talk about a balanced approach, having some exposure in a multitude of different sectors, not making one huge large bet in all large-cap growth or all large-cap value. It's all about – or small-cap growth, small-cap value. It's all about a proper balance. But I think of Kathy Woods and – how well she did during the year of COVID 2020 and the name that she made for herself, which then opened up the floodgate of assets coming in and her being touted as this king of money management, who's down almost 60% year to date. And now she, I, I commend her for sticking to her guns, 
but she has had almost a billion dollars of inflows this year, even with this level of underperformance. But then on the other side, she's had almost a billion of outflows. So don't chase performance. And Joe's point to the Callan chart, I totally recommend every listener pull that up to see what Joe's talking about of which sectors and how they perform differently each and every year. This is why a balanced approach is key. Joe, fifth and last point. Last Got a little bit of time not, left. Last but not least and shortest of all is having a short-term focus. Absolutely right. As as we've always preached, you have to be maintained and focused on the long term. You can't make a you can't make a short term decision with long term assets. Since 1926, the the stock market has been positive 74 percent of the time. And as I've said to prospective clients, I've said on this radio show, if someone came up to you on the street and said, "If you go to Las Vegas," And 74% of every bet you're going to make, you're going to win. You'll be on the next Southwest flight out there. So this is why you have to maintain a long-term perspective. The market isn't always going to go up in a straight line. But over the long term, its direction has always been higher. So with that, we're coming to the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. If you'd like to give us a call, 1-800-275-2162 or email us at moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Stay tuned. Fighting Texas Aggie pregame. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. To your financial health, we'll talk to you next week.